you can be a Christian white Southern Republican and you can be a a uh, a black Muslim progressive from the East Coast and and there's something we can both agree on, no. which is someone who is less fortunate than us that we get out of our comfort zones and go 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 do some work to exact some positive measure of, fa- of change for someone who's less fortunate than us, we can both celebrate that. We don't have to get into any of it. And right. if we can, in community, find common ground on something, yeah, it then opens the door for us to have conversations about things that matter even more, but do it from a place of common respect because yeah. we respect one another's heart. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Coach Bill Courtney, welcome to the What Is Money Show. What's up? Happy to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, We were connected by a mutual friend uh, at Freedom Fest in Memphis, and uh, you're quite the popular topic in Memphis. So I thought (laughs) it'd be be great to have you on the show and, and talk to you. He's your friend. He's my producer. If you ever have a producer, you'll find out that it's a love-hate relationship. But Alex Cortez is a great dude. I appreciate him connecting us. <laughs> I do too. Um, so let's start there. You've, you are the subject of a very popular movie titled Undefeated. Um, and as I understand it, this movie won an Academy Award. 
So what is that movie about and what is it that, that struck a chord such that it, that it won an Academy Award? Well, Undefeated is the movie chronicles my seventh year coaching football as a volunteer coach at Manassas High School in Memphis. Um, Manassas is uh, in the fifth poor zip code in the United States. The demographics are, um, I don't want to sensationalize anybody or anybody's life, but the demographics are um, terrible. Um, fewer than half the people that live in the neighborhood own a car, less than 1% have a bachelor's degree. An 18-year-old male is three times more likely to be dead or in jail than he is to have a job by his 21st birthday. And when I got there, there were 17 kids on a football team who'd won four games in 10 years. Their previous 10 years record was four wins and 95 losses. Um, and the movie chronicles my last year, my seventh year there, where we'd grown to 75 kids on the team. We had uh, Our last two years record was 18 wins and two losses. And um, all but one of the seniors off my last two football teams actually went to college. Bam. And so sounds like a football movie, Bam. but it's not. Football is the backdrop. Undefeated has nothing to do with wins and losses on a football field. It's, it's about not being defeated by your circumstances. Bam. And um, so it's a human interest story about a white, guy from memphis who owns a business going into an all-black school my nickname was big daddy snowflake because i was the only white thing around <laughs> I mean, there was, you know and the uh apparent from the outset two different worlds converging to have a level of success both on a football field and off but one of the reasons it resonates so well is because it's not about football. It's about a human, it's about human interaction and the human condition and um, what's revealed during the movie. And I don't want to give too much of a spoiler alert, but what's revealed during the movie is that my dad left home when I was four. Um, he died this year. Incidentally, um, I got a phone call about it. I had no relationship with him. My mom was married and divorced five times. My fourth father took a 38 caliber pistol out after uh, drinking about a half gallon of us or scotch one night and shot at me down a hallway. I had to dive out a window to save myself. And the police got there right before he shot my mom in the attic. Um, uh, I grew up with a lot of trauma. Uh, I grew up with um, a lot of dysfunction and frankly, fatherlessness. I'm 55 now and have four children that are 25, 6, 7, and 8, believe it or not. Um, but fatherlessness had a uh, profound impact on my life, no. not only coming up, but e easily into my 40s. Um, and when you look at the way that I actually came up, you're introduced to this white guy who's coaching this football team. But as you find out, my identity and reality is a lot more closer to the kids at Manassas than it is my own children. They didn't grow up like I did. I grew up more like the kids at Manassas. And so the question is, how do these two different worlds converge? And the answer is because 
I understood exactly what most of the kids at Manassas were going through because I went through it coming up myself. Even though we look like we come from different worlds, we're actually cut from the same cloth. And and how my life uh, was redeemed as a result of the amazing work the kids at Manassas put into doing something positive with their life, despite the demographics and the circumstances they come from, oh. and what they meant to me in my life, and what I've learned and was able to teach them, and what I meant to them on their life. And again, so it's undefeated, not about wins and losses on a football field, but rather about not being defeated by the circumstances of your life with a zip code at the time of your birth, mm-hmm. and the amazing things that can occur in people's lives if we put aside the notions of race and creed and socioeconomic status and just learn about one another, work together to exact some measure of positive change and um, the phenomenal things that can happen in life when we uh, step across the tracks and start to learn about one another. And so that's what Undefeated is. Uh, Won't tell you much more about it. You need to watch it and be inspired and laugh and cry and do what everybody does. But, you know, it's rare that Hollywood awards movies that don't have some social impact statement, especially in the documentary world. So this movie about a football team in the South of a white guy coaching a bunch of black guys is typically not a movie that would win an Academy Award. It doesn't have some profound political or socioeconomic statement on the outset that you would expect Hollywood would jump all over. But in our case, they did, and we won an Oscar. And it, um, you know, I own a lumber company. I'm a Memphis guy, and I'm a football coach. <laughs> Guys like that are not supposed to be walking down the red carpet. <laughs> Academy Awards are never intended to. But as a result of that happening um, nine years ago, I was given this platform um and uh, since then, I've used the platform to uh, write a book, speak a lot, and uh, start a podcast, and and hopefully use the opportunity to uh, have a greater conversation on a national level about the stuff that I think matters. Wow, that that's one heck of a journey, and that's uh, I think quite a beautiful message that's contained in that film. Um, I could see where that would strike a chord with people. Uh, especially yes. now in these times where the divisiveness is almost being pushed upon us, I would argue from from on high. And when I see people Awkward. really inter- interacting in the world, like especially in the South, I don't see it really. Right? I don't see these these racial divides as as significant as they used to be. At least <laughs> we will talk more about that when you ask a question. I'm sure because that is a lot of what has to do with my uh, motivation behind the podcast, but we'll talk about that a little bit for mm. sure. I agree with you. I, ha- I have to ask you, so I, my mother left my father when I was just under five, so about four. Same age. <clears throat> I was fortunate, though, that I had a really good stepdad in my life, most of my life, so I had a strong father figure, um, but, but I was estranged, basically, from my biological father. And you said that fatherlessness affected you. Um, I think you said well into your forties, like, could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Like what experience you had growing up without a father? And then I guess going through multiple fathers and the traumatic situations, like how did that shape the course of your life? And then what was it about? Was it just leading these fatherless kids that gave you some 
moment of redemption? Yeah. So I lettered in six sports in high school. Um, my, uh, athletic director said I was a triathlete. I'd try anything. Um, I, uh, my father went to East high school where Sybil Shepherd went to high school. Um, and he was, uh, four-year starters, point guard on the basketball team and quarterback on the football team and ran track. In fact, he held the hundred yard record. I mean, he, he was in the mid sixties and the hundred yard record was his in this, in the Shelby County up until like the late nineties. Um, he was a really, really good athlete. And I know because he's a good athlete, he read the sports page and everything. Uh-huh. Well, I'm lettering in six sports in high school. I'm playing everything. My father never saw me play one thing ever. And I knew. And in, in, back in those days, you know, the sports page in the local newspaper was big. And on Saturdays or whatever, I mean, they covered high school sports. We share the same name. My name was in the paper often. And I always thought, you know, he'll show up to see this. You know, I always had this. And so what happens is after you know your father has interest in the very things you're doing. And these men continue to come into your life and lead your life, leave your life as stepfathers and divorcing your mom and all of that. You get to a point as a young strapping guy plays every sport known to man in the weight room working out. You've got this hard bravado shell. I'm a badass. I can play everything. But inside, you're broken because you start to say, you start to think of yourself as pretty valueless because what is it about me that's so repulsive that my own father doesn't want anything to do with me, even though I know he knows what I'm doing, he shares interest in all these guys come into my life and I latch on them to think, okay, this is going to be the father figure I'm going to have. And then they leave and you never see him again. And after a series of these things happening, you start to reconcile, well, clearly something's wrong with me. I must have so little value that a man is willing to invest in me. And when you start to question your own value and when you start to feel like you're broken and something is so intrinsically wrong with you that you're not worth investing in, you can quickly reconcile that maybe investing in yourself is also an unworthy cause. Better. And so you start to do self-destructive things. Better. Um, and it, it happened to me, and it happens all over this world every day to many kids who are now on second, third, sometimes fourth generations of looking at fatherlessness, Better. which leads to self-valuelessness, Better. which leads to self-destruction. Um, and... It took me, I married an amazing woman who I've been married to for 32 years now, and I will die married to, and we had four beautiful children, and it took me into my 40s to start understanding that fatherlessness, I was being a victim of it, and I needed to celebrate fatherhood from the standpoint of being a father and having four beautiful children, and um, quit being a victim to my fatherlessness and it took me a while to understand that ultimately nothing was wrong with me something was really wrong with those guys 
Um, but it takes a while. And I was able to recover from it with a beautiful wife and my own children and some success in my life and other avenues. Well, a lot of people don't have that. And it's one of the proverbial it's that we talk about in our society today. And when we're on second, third generational fatherlessness, surrounded by disenfranchisement and poverty, um, it should be no surprise at all to us that our jails are filled with kids who had no father in their life. Fair. Yeah, no, it's so it's a lot to take in, and it's a very difficult problem to solve. Um, it is. It, 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 the, you're right. And I'm not here saying I have all the answers. I have a lot of opinions, but, um, one of the reasons I wrote against the grain, um, against the grain is, a, is a book of 15 chapters. Each chapter is a tenant character, commitment, integrity, leadership, um, teamwork, discipline, uh, commitment, that's one of the chapters. And each chapter is just my layman's definition of what that tenant is. And then the chapter, the body of the chapter explores, I, I, not in a preachy way, I hope, I've tried very hard not to be preachy, but explores that tenant through the lens of somebody that I've worked for or who's coached me or someone I've coached or has worked for me and and how that tenant employed in their life or my life made a difference and changed that life uh, um, by employing that tenant in a well. Since I wrote that is, I think we can be a forward-thinking, evolving society without abandoning the core principles that got us here in the first place. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think our divisive um, society that we live in now somehow has this side that says, we're going forward, we're doing this, we're doing that, and old school principles are somehow uh, not applicable anymore. And then this other group that says, old school principles only, we don't need to advance anymore. And I think both are wrong. I think, I think, I think core values and tenets um, can coexist with evolution and growth, uh -huh. uh, but it takes work to make sure we honor both. Yes, and if we honored both, um, for instance, um, service. If 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 I'm going to get married to somebody, and I say, you know what, for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to understand by listening my wife's or my potential spouse's fears and goals and inhibitions. And I'm going to do everything I can to make her safe. And I'm going to do everything I can to quell her fears. And I'm going to do everything I can to help elevate her goals. And then she has that same servant leadership heart with me, her spouse. And yeah. we simply set out our lives together with the, with the purpose of serving one another to help one another quell the, each other's fears and to serve one another to help each other reach their goals. Divorce ends. Yeah. If you have two people committed to that, yeah. to committed to lead, servant leadership toward one another, divorce ends. 
And when divorce ends, so does follows. And it's that's what I mean is that these old school tenets and fundamentals that I really explore in my book against the grain are are meant to just say we can be an evolving, forward-thinking, moving society without abandoning the core principles that defined us in the first place. And here's how. Yes. And I will say, how did we go from four wins and 95 losses to Manassas? Well, we employed those principles. Certainly X's and O's. Certainly we changed our offense and a defense and evolved as defenses and offensive evolved. You've got to You've got to work out different schemes and different plans because here. society and the world and football and business, they change. Yeah. So you've always got to be forward-thinking and creative. But you can do that while still employing core values and principles. Sure. And, I, and, I, and I, I think that's a conversation worth having. Oh, that's a fantastic way to put it. I, you know, the way I conceive of this is that there's the core – that you need to be conservative with, right? Whether that's the core of a football team, of a society, of a business, right? There's very basic uh, operating procedures that are time-tested and you need to keep those things in place. But then you need to experiment at the edges, right? You need to adapt. You need to test new ideas, new products, et cetera. There's going to be some failure associated with that. Hopefully that failure is contained at the edges and it doesn't impact the core and the reason you're conservative at the core and experimental at the edges. So you you have to have both, I guess. So I agree with you. You can't just have one or the other. It's to use your metaphor. If you have the proper core and foundation, the failures don't cripple you. Right. At the edges. Right. Which gives you the ability and the brevity and the temerity to go ahead and experiment and have those failures. Yeah. Because if you build the proper foundation of the core of these core principles that should define your life in business and football and your relationships everywhere, right. then you're okay to experiment on the fringes because when you have the failures, you fall back to a foundation that's rock solid. Right. And then you can get creative and start over somewhere else. Bingo. Yeah. Beautiful, beautifully said. Um, and it applies to everything again, right? Just like your marriage, your business, your football team, like you, have, you gotta have some solid foundation and then you can experiment at the edges. But it makes all the sense in the world to me. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code Bitcoin23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Um, okay, so you, you mentioned the book, Against the Grain, chapters of these tenants. These were tenants you were employing in coaching the football team. So you're putting these tenants into action, basically, and the proverbial proof is in the pudding, right, that you turned this team or I think you said four wins and 95 losses to last season I was 18 and two. Um, 
this whole thing became a phenomenon, uh, obviously put you in the spotlight, gave you a platform. You wrote the book about those tenants and now you've started a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know what a podcast was, bro. <laughs> I'm an old guy. I don't, you know, yeah. 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 Well, we're, it's a new thing and we're all yeah. learning as we go here. Um, sure. and you're, it's called an army of normal folks. Can you tell me a bit about what's well, a very unique name? So what, okay. what's going on with the title of the podcast and what is the, the mission behind it? Now is an opportunity to piggyback on something you said earlier about the divisiveness. So I was being interviewed by this guy named Alex Cortez, who you now met and is now my producer. But at that time, he was just another dude interviewing me. And um, I was particularly uh, frustrated the day he happened to be interviewing me. And, and I wish I could tell you uh, what happened that day but I, I can't it was but it was one of those things that's in the national news media stayed there for a couple of days in the news cycle and we moved on but uh whatever happened really was ridiculous because any common sense thinking rational person would have said oh well that's what happened and that's why and everything else but i happened to watch fox and cnn's coverage on it and then I went to CNBC and Newsmax on it. And then I watched a bunch of news on this one thing. And it was literally like two alternate universes um, in terms of the narrative and the reporting on whatever it was that happened. Mm -hmm. And it was such a microcosm of what I think is wrong with us right mm -hmm. now. Um, and anyway, so that was in the back of my head. And Alex is interviewing me, much like this interview, and I, I don't know what topic we are we were on, but he asked a question about basically what do you think can fix some of the, the problems that are ailing our culture and society today? And I said this, um, there are neighborhoods in every major city in this country that you roll by that you do not want to have a flat tire right there. Uh -huh. It, it's spots on the interstate where you look down the viaduct and you see the abject despair and poverty and loss and blight uh -huh. and plight. And you think, if I have a flat tire here, I'm probably going to get mugged. Please, uh -huh. car, don't break down here. <laughs> and then as you pass by, and I think every single person listening to you right now, as well as you, has had that experience where you look uh -huh. over and you see that and you think, ugh. And then as you pass by, I think we've also experienced at some time in our life this sensation where we think, man, somebody ought to do something about that one day. Mm -hmm. As if that sentiment actually matters. Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't. Right. My suggestion is we turn that rearview mirror about 15 degrees to the left and say, maybe I should do something about that one day. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, the fancy people on Fox and CNN and news, they are incented by an enormous amount of wealth and power to craft narratives that divide us. Mm -hmm. So they're not fixing anything. Mm -hmm. The people in DC, and I don't mean the average Joe walking down the street of DC or in a job. I'm talking about the people in the Capitol and the white house. They're incented by an even more power and money 
to craft narratives that divide us. They have proven woefully inadequate in caring for the most disadvantaged among us. So all all the smart people that control our media and our and our government, they're really not gonna fix what else is. Rather, it's just gonna take an army of normal folks. Guys like you and me and everybody else across the country, regardless if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, Republican, Democrat, Christian, Jew, Muslim, all these different things that we Americans have now divided ourselves into. Regardless of who you are, we can all celebrate the edification of a person who is not as fortunate as us. So I think it's going to take this army of normal folks just seeing a place of need in their community and filling it. Not because they're part of an NGO, not because the government bequeathed them, not because they were born with gobs of money and Mm -hmm. can set up trust funds and do stuff. Normal folks who have problems with their spouse, difficulty raising their kids, money troubles, worried about buying another house, paying a rent, trying to skip up enough money to take your your family on vacation. Normal folks who deal with normal problems. Who, who don't do good things in their communities because they're tabbed or because they're part of the pretty people, but they do them rather despite normal people difficulties, yeah. that, which in a, in, at the end of the day are the most inspirational kind of people. Yeah. What if we had an army of normal folks across this country just seeing areas of need and filling it? So that's why I said in the interview, yeah. he came back to me about six months later and he said, I can't quit thinking about what you said in the interview. And I was like, oh gosh, did I cuss? I didn't know what I said. And he repeated it to me. And I said, and he said, you know, do you really feel that way? I said, I do. He said, I want to start a podcast where he he works for this thing called Iron Light Labs in Chicago, which is a big outfit where we go find normal people like you're talking about that nobody knows about. And you tell their stories. You interview them and you tell their stories and we will produce it, add music to it. It'll be a first class production. They'll all be face to face and you can use your platform to, to generate interest and we will make them interesting, entertaining. Uh, you will cry, you will laugh, redemptive stories, but most importantly, we'll make them inspirational because of their stories and we will invite our listeners to continue to join and subscribe this army of normal folks and use this podcast to not only be class A, top-notch entertainment and and inspirational, but to also try to become a movement, to get people to continue to listen and continue to join this proverbial army that over the the course of time, as they listen to more and more stories of amazing things people are doing, they will eventually find something they're passionate about that they can also do in their community. And right. to actually grow this army you talk about. And I said, okay, we'll try it. And um, we, uh, we, we canned 15, 20 episodes. And before we released, uh, iHeart heard about us. And now they distribute us. And um, we released three months ago. We're brand new out of the can. We've been as high as uh, number 10 in the United States on Apple. So it's resonating. And... We are working hard to grow this podcast and the listenership um, and drive people to it, obviously to generate interest and entertainment and everything, but more importantly, to actually grow this proverbial army that was uh, really a 
born from a frustrated comment that I made during an interview that Alex decided could be something much greater than that. We're working to that end now. That sounds great. I'm there's this meme that keeps coming to mind based on that title. It's where, you know, there's one little there's a plank, there's a bunch of people standing on one side and there's one little politician on the other side, you know, yelling at them with a loudspeaker, you know, telling them what to do. And eventually the people just stand up and walk off the plank and the guy has no power, right? So it's just he getting falls people, a, he falls off. Yeah, yeah. People just we have this blind faith in political leadership to some extent that really just does, it, I don't know it boggles my mind that people buy into See, it. There, there, yeah, there's some inertia, right? Like, okay, we've been doing it for a long time. It, you know, a certain degree of people just being accustomed to it. But I think things are getting to the point now where it's like you really need to reevaluate who you're taking your marching orders from, and. Um, I think it's a, it's a great, it sounds like that's what you're doing, right? It's like getting people to stand up and realize, Hey, maybe we can just fix the problems. We don't need to abdicate the responsibility to the state or politicians or whatever. You can just get up and take action, take responsibility and actually move the world that way. And, you know, it's also so damn important because those narratives, those divisive narratives that are coming out of mainstream media and other propaganda machines they're on purpose. They're by design, right? Uh, this is something we try to hit on the show a lot. It's like, at the end of the day, the state is a business. You live on a tax farm and it's your labor that's being harvested. Yeah. The more they can divide you amongst yourselves and the less unified you are, the less you can resist that exploitation. So, you know, you bringing some unity to people in that way, I think is, is just really important and hopefully a, a movement for the age. Like, it seems like people are kind of waking up to the scam that is the state. And, um, I fully support any effort towards that end. So I, I appreciate you, you saying that I, um, the idea when, when I was a kid, I remember a narrative that said, I may vehemently disagree with your opinion, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. Uh -huh. We've lost that. Yep. We now say, I vehemently disagree with your opinion, and you are now my enemy, and I'm going to use every disposable, by, uh, every disposable at my means to crush you. Yep. That is the beginning to the chipping away at the foundation of our republic. That's right. We are only as good... The, our grand experiment, this country of ours, is only as strong as we are as a people to the respectful, civil, non-threatening discourse and vetting of ideas, regardless of who has them or what from what perspective they come. That's and when we abdicate that responsibility to have those conversations to a very select few Washington DC okay. and then like sheep get led by whatever they decide on those issues that then get communicated to us through a national media that is also largely controlled by that apparatus 
we have completely given up the very thing that defines us as a republic. Well, that's why it's the First Amendment, right? It's the, the it point is. of the freedom of speech is such that our ideas can go to battle and die so that our bodies don't have to. If we lose the freedom of speech, then all that's left is violence. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and look at our culture today. Yeah. So, the, so much like the followlessness thing. Right. How do we break this down? How do we unify? Well, here's the, I don't know what your faith, I don't know what your 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 political persuasion. I, I am you can be a Christian white southern republican and you can be a a uh a black muslim progressive from the east coast and and there's something we can both agree on, yeah. which is someone who is less fortunate than us, that we get out of our comfort zones and go 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 do some work to exact some positive measure of, of change for someone who's less fortunate than us, we can both celebrate that. We don't have to get into any of it. And right. if we can, in community, find common ground on something, yeah. it then opens the door for us to have conversations about things that matter even more but do it from a place of common respect because yeah. we respect one another's heart and we respect yeah. one another as human beings. So this idea of an army of normal folks mm -hmm. is certainly to serve the greater good of our, of our country. But my ancillary hope is that if you grow this army of normal folks that can join in community to serve the greater good of the country, does that not then maybe give us all a basis to have civil, non-threatening, but real conversations about other stuff that matters, right. but do it from a place of common respect. Yeah. No, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful aim. Um, I, I think there's a parallel there. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on this show on life, liberty, property. I mean, this is the thing that no matter who you are, where you're from, you can pretty much agree upon, like the right to life, the right to be alive, to not be coerced or hurt by other people. The right to liberty, right? To move about freely so long as you're not hurting other people. And then the right to property, just being able to keep the value that you earn or you create in the world. These three fundamental tenets, which is what government's supposed to do, right? That's all it's supposed to do is preserve life, liberty, and property. It's not supposed to do anything else. Unfortunately, the current iteration of the state that we have today is is regressing against that, right? Um, but yeah, it I think there's some parallel there with your point. Like we need to find this common ground. And I think that there's a lot of, that seems to be a pretty indisputable common ground from my perspective. It's like everyone wants to live, everyone wants freedom and everyone wants to be able to create opportunity for themselves, right? By working and creating value and things like this. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, 
You can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Super cool you're doing that. I want to segue a little bit here because you're not just a football coach. You're not just uh, uh, an author, not just uh, the subject of a very popular film, not just a podcast host. You are also an entrepreneur. And as you told me offline, you started your lumber company with $17,000 and you have grown it to an 80 million plus revenue business. Um, I want to hear about your journey. Like what has it been like being an entrepreneur? And then how has your relationship with money changed throughout that journey? Um, Always, most. Um, it's divorced me a few times, but remarried me. <laughs> um, that's how our relationship. So look, I grew up in apartments, right? And, um, so I never had a home until I bought my own. And I will tell you, your understanding of how money works, uh, evolves uh, only as you're able to employ it. Uh-huh. And so there's a lot of people, again, in more poverty-stricken areas of our country that um, don't understand why getting their check and cashing at the liquor store and paying $17 to cash their check is, is a 4% reduction in annual pay for them. Uh-huh. They don't even understand that because mm-hmm. that's the normal thing they do. They don't understand the value of compound interest uh-huh. because they've never had a checking account. They don't understand the value of appreciation because they've always lived in an apartment. Yeah. Um, and and until we start <laughs> teaching financial literacy, um, we will continue to deal with a segment of our population that will never have the tools to dig out. Sure. Um, I came from that. Um, and and so, you know, I, I taught school and coached football, went to college. I was fortunate to be around people that had money, so I learned a little as I went. Um, and and I started a business when I was 30 years old, 31 years old with $17,000. After having worked five years for another lumber company, I had some ideas about how we could do things better. The owner wasn't buying what I was selling. So I said, well, hell, 
I've been broke before I can be broke again. And I started my business. So the first thing about entrepreneurship is if you're married, the conversation you have to have with your spouse is this. I want to do this. The payoffs could be great for us, but uh, given that 60% of all startups in the United States fail within the first 24 months, I have a greater than average chance of us being completely broke and having to start over again. And are you okay with that? Because your spouse has to be. Because if you don't have support at home, you will never be successful. So you have to have a strong spouse and a spouse that's willing to take the risk and understands what's going to happen if you fail. I had that. I still have it. My wife is a gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful person, and she said, go for it. So one, that was first step. Second step was, um, so fear of failure. You have to get over it, and you have to understand the risk, and your support group has to understand the risk and how it affects them, wife and children. (laughs) And then the second thing is um, Spence Wilson, no, sorry, Kimmons Wilson is a Memphian. He is the guy that founded and built and started Holiday Inn back in the 60s. Um, So all of the chain hotels, Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn Express, Marriott, Hilton, Hampton Inn, all of them that we all just take for granted now didn't exist prior to Holiday Inn. That was the first one. He started it. That whole concept has blown up into the entire industry, this hotel industry. He's a Memphian. Um, and I won an award one day in college and one of the awards was I got to have lunch with him and I actually met him at his FBO and sitting outside our lunch table was his jet and we're talking with this billionaire and I'm just sitting there going, you know, what the hell am I doing here? And, um, he said, well, Bill, do you, do you want to know what it takes to be successful? And I said, yep, I do. (laughs) And he said, okay. He said, just work half the day. And I'm like, well, you're a billionaire and there's your jet and you're going to fly off somewhere afterwards. And if it's work half a day, I'm in. He said, yep, doesn't matter. You can choose first 12 hours, second 12 hours, but just work half the day. And I've taken that with me my whole life. So the second thing is you got to, you got to manage your risk and your, and your willingness to risk and then the second thing is you got to realize if you're going to start an operational unit of any business that just because the government says an average day is eight hours a day don't expect to have anything exceptional if you're only willing to work average and dig in and i did the third thing is you got to understand is um opportunity cost because when you're starting a business, the funds available to you, you will have a massive list of things you need money for. The funds available to you are rarely check or fit every need you have. Right. So you have to prioritize. And you prioritize by opportunity. If this $10,000 is employed here, it will yield X. If this $10,000 is employed here, it will yield Y. If X is greater than Y, you do X and Y waits. You simply have to value every dollar as if it was your last. And you employ those dollars in the very most possible profitable place that you possibly can. 
and you have to take care of the people that are engaged in this enterprise with you, even if that means you work for nothing, which I have. I have paid people to work with me and chase my dream with me and buy into my idea of what this business looks like and not been able to pay myself because the money going to myself paid nothing while the money going to this piece of equipment would yield results in 30 days. And so I starve so that the business doesn't. And I starve so that the people alongside of me don't. You come last, not first, when you build a business. You marry- That's that's servant leadership again. It is. You, 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 You manage your risk. You have real expectations of it. You surround yourself with people that understand the risk and are willing to take it. You value every dollar, and you build, and you understand that average work never, rarely does average work produce exceptional results. Really? Then the last thing that I would say about starting a business entrepreneurship is this, is once you do reach some level of baseline success that is that foundation that you can then go to the fringes and creativity to try things on that at least if you fall back to it, you're not going to go broke. You're going to be okay. And then you, then you, you know, send a, a platoon out to some other creative ideas to try to figure out, you know, what you're doing next. Um, once you reach that, that, that baseline is whether you have, a earthquake, hurricane, or volcano blow up your business or not, created every 18 months anyway. And what I mean by that is the only uh, policies and procedures are easy to follow when everything's going well. Yeah, no. They're not there. Policies and procedures are not in place when business is easy. There, there's a stopgap when things go awful. They're there. They're there that when all hell's breaking loose, you have something to fall back on. That you're reminded, this is how I do things. The only way to the only way to properly prepare for uh, the housing crisis of 2008, the only way you make it through the housing crisis of 2008 in the lumber business, the only way you make it through COVID, when everything's going well and the only way you make it through 40% of your business being in Southeast Asia and then the Chinese market imploding, the only way you make it through that is you've already seen it. And the only way you've already seen it is when things are great, don't be spending money like an idiot. Yeah. Don't go buy a beach house. Don't go, don't go spend my, don't go give raises to everybody. Don't go bonus yourself some $500,000 or something. No. What you do at that point is, you buttress up that fort. You prepare yourself to have a firewall against the eventuality of difficulties coming. There. And then you create problems virtually there. in your mind and in your company's mind and say, okay, guys, this happened today. How are we going to react? And you prepare for it. And you. So, what I'm saying is the smartest businesses are always not only looking forward to the fringe growth and the fringe uh, potential ideas of greater margins of revenue, but they're also looking forward, maybe even more importantly, looking forward to the eventuality of difficulty 
Man. and you prepare to handle it. It's why kindergartners have fire drills in school. Right. You need to have a fire drill in your business every 18 months sure. so that when the real fire happens, you're prepared. And you need to build your ballot sheet needs to build be a fortress against anything that can come. And the only reason, the only way to do that with your ballot sheet is you pay yourself last. Third. If you do that, you've got a 60% chance of success <laughs> because that's what the data tells us. Wow. That's, that's great wisdom. Um, I was reminded, I think it's Machiavelli that quoted something like, um, it's the wise man that prepares for the tempest when it when times are calm basically so yeah, are that's good. a great that's a you it took me 12 minutes to say what you said in three <laughs> seconds. But, so, but yes that's it and it's hard to do because when times are good and you know there's not the pressure there's not the pain there's not the adversity that's sort of driving uh you to prioritize or, or address it with immediacy it's easy to procrastinate and not think about that and put it off. And uh, that's dangerous, right? That's dangerous because the storm is always coming. And if you're not ready, then um, you're, you're going to get hurt. So I, ask, ask the people at Sears <laughs> if they wish they'd have taken the money out of their big, thick paper catalog and put it into online research about <laughs> 30 years ago. Sears and Roebuck at one time was an an unbeatable retailer in the United States who had all the money and influence and the best brand in the world. Sears should be Amazon. Uh But instead of thinking forward and preparing for the eventualities of change and progression and everything that changes, they continue to print a thick paper catalog that kids my age don't even remember. Uh-huh. And they could have put all that money into online research and they could have been the next Amazon. And instead they're a, they're a, they're a, a once Titan of industry that is a nothing today. Uh-huh. I can give you thousands of those examples and it all comes from a lack of a fortress balance sheet coupled with creative, forward-thinking people no. always on the fringes, testing the boundaries. Yeah, they needed to have a fire drill, right? The they needed a fire drill. Paper and catalog they stops working. Then what are we going to do? And they no, just- but they got, they got fat. They paid each other bonuses. They loaded up. They mm-hmm. built big towers. They spent all kinds of money, and they never took the time to think about what's next. Yeah. And you think of think of the think think. Of Sears, Craftsman Tools, Die Hard Batteries. They literally had four uh, Kenmore appliances. They had seven or eight of the most iconic brands in the United States and lost them all because they never had a fire truck. Wow. Amazing. Um, So much wisdom, man. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I probably kept you long enough. I think we agreed to about 60 minutes and we're probably close to that now. Um, any closing thoughts or final pieces of wisdom that you'd like to share with people? Please go to normalfolks.us and subscribe and listen. Uh, you can text me. One thing you do need to know, 
all of our guests share their personal contact information. The idea is a show is a blueprint for something you can do. And the author of that blueprint, you have direct contact with if, if you're so inspired. So you not only have a blueprint of something you can do in your community every single episode, you actually have the author of that blueprint available to you to talk about if you, you want to get so engaged. If you don't want to get engaged, you just want to be entertained and listen to be inspired, listen. If you want to contact me, you can talk, contact me at bill at normalfolks.us. I will always respond to those emails. Go to normalfolks.us, subscribe, listen, rate it, review it, share it, and help us grow this proverbial army. Help us grow the listenership. It's not about money for me. It's about the, the more listeners, the more growth, the, the more reach, and the more possible positive impact we can have on our country. And if, if there's anything I'll leave you with, I just ask your listeners, check us out. Go to go to coachbocorny.com. You can find it there. Uh, Army of Normal Folks. Um, you know, help us grow a movement that will hopefully have some positive impact on on our culture and our society. Amen to that. Uh, Coach Bill, thank you for the wisdom and thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me.